Have you ever wondered why there are so many disagreements among Christians? Why do we have so many different denominations? Why are there so many different churches out there that just can't seem to come to an agreement about what the Bible is saying about things that have already taken place and the things that are yet future? Well, today we're going to attempt to give you some answers as to why that's the case. Why do Christians disagree? And yet, why we can still call them Christians? Why they are still in the same family of God, even though they disagree? We'll crack into that on the other side of the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic, it's watered down, it has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. Well, Ken, looks like... Hard times over there at the Chip Chase household, and I can see you've been digging through the community dumpsters for clothing. I don't even know, like, should I even dignify that with a response? Yeah, I'm wearing my Cubs jersey today. Spring training has started. Baseball is back. By the time this drops, we'll be really close to opening day. So I'm really, really sad I didn't calculate that in my head and wear one of my jerseys. But... Alas. I am smarter than you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what helps make me smart? Books. (laughs) Books. And actually, recently I had, as you know, Ken, a huge grace bomb dropped on me. There's grace shrapnel everywhere in the walls, gouging me in the leg. (laughs) Okay, I won't carry that metaphor out to all the way. Uh, I was given a whole bunch of books, and... Quality, good books by a sweet, kind man, Christian brother in our valley who's moving to kind of your neck of the woods, moving to the Lexington area. No, that's not far from me, yeah. And uh, he gave me a ton, I mean, we're talking a ton of good books, including many good commentaries. And anytime I get commentaries, I like to use the uh, Commentaries for Biblical Expositors book by Dr. Jim Roscup. For Mm. those of you who don't know what this is, uh, Jim Roscup is a former professor at Master Seminary. He's in glory now, I believe. And he went through the Old Testament and New Testament commentaries that exist in a pretty comprehensive fashion. I don't know if anybody could ever be exhaustive, but he's pretty comprehensive. And he divided he divided up the commentaries into three categories, exegetical, expositional, and devotional. And he ranks them. He, uh, he ranks them one to however many. Sometimes there's just three. Sometimes there's all the way up to like eight or nine. And then in the back, he has full explanations of each of the commentaries. So if you say, oh, okay, well, that commentary sounds good. I want to know more about it. You flip to the back, and he has an explanation, a summary of what you can expect in that type of commentary. And so what I like to do, as you may have noticed if you're watching the video version, is I like to go through and highlight whenever I get a commentary. I like to go through and highlight it in this book so it kind of tells me uh, what I got going on for each book of the Bible and where my needs are and stuff. And if I'm going to teach through something, I can pull this out and look. Anyway, all that to say, this is a really handy resource, and it's published by Cress, K-R-E-S-S, Cress Christian Publications, uh, but their website Pressbiblical.com. That's where you can pick up this book by Dr. Jim Roscup. If you're a pastor, it's a super duper handy book to have on hand and all kinds of cool Christian works, uh, helpful, handy tools that you can pick up there. And you've heard it. If you've been listening to our show, we have a coupon code with them right now for 40% off and free shipping on orders of $20 or more. It's do theology, all lowercase, do space theology. Put that in at checkout for 40% off and free shipping on orders of over $20. Pretty awesome. I'm not sure if that promo code will ever stop amazing me about its awesomeness. 
Yeah. I mean, you think of all the promo codes for the different things that exist out there. Like when my wife and I order dinner and stuff, we're always looking for promo codes <laughs> for Little Caesars and everything. 40% off is pretty amazing. Uh, just a whole order. And then to get free shipping delivered right to your door, that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So thank you to Crest for sponsoring the show and glad that we can have that promo code for our listeners. Well, let's get into today's topic. Why do so many Christians disagree? Does God desire doctrinal diversity in his church? Boy, those are tough questions to answer, aren't they? Oh, yes. These are... Lots of people wrestle with this, right? How, how do we sort through this? In fact, this is something that uh, you know would be a common uh, jab lobbed at us from people that are not of... You know, not of the Christian faith to say, oh, you know, you, you guys have so many sp- denominations, so many splitterings, whereas our thing, you know, I think that's some of the Mormons would, would say quite a bit, the LDS oh, church. Yeah. That's, that's the uh, whole foundation of the LDS church is what right. everybody, Joseph wanted to know what church to join in because they all disagreed with one another. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, there are different denominations. You're right. But the question is why? Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church, yeah, Catholics would be uh, pretty critical of us for that reason as well, and other groups also, uh, even atheists would would mock us for some of our diversity of doctrine. So we want to try to tackle this. Yeah, why is this the case, and what, how do we think about it? Well, let's uh, lay out the issue with just a few simple points of clarity here. Just like th- this is an objective reality that is the foundation for this problem, okay? Number one, man is both finite and fallen. Why is that a part of this issue? Well, (laughs) uh, it's a part of the issue because that means man can never perfectly understand all that God has said. It's just impossible. Man being finite, God being infinite. Man being fallen, God being totally pure and holy and righteous in everything he says and does. Man will never be able to perfectly apprehend, comprehend exhaustively in this life all that God has said. That's just a base reality we have to accept, and a lot of people don't want to accept that. Sometimes it's because of our own sinfulness and our own, maybe our own pride, maybe our own um, uh, just failings in different areas where we want to read things in certain ways and come to different conclusions because of our own sinfulness. Sometimes this is just because of, you mentioned the the, the finiteness of our minds, where this is was what theologians call the noetic effects of the fall, where even if it's not inherently sinful all on its own, our ability to think, our ability to reason has been corrupted by our sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And so even if we're not consciously aware of, oh, I'm making this decision because I have this sin in my life, etc., well, just, just because we're fallen, just because we have the this finiteness of our own minds, we're going to struggle in areas where we don't have uh, full knowledge, we're ignorant of things, and that creates these limitations. Secondly, it's also a reality that God has chosen to break through these limitations that Ken was just talking about in issuing primary doctrine to his church through the revelation of his word. The doctrines that are definitional to Christianity, the doctrines that are foundational to Christianity, God has revealed to his church in such a way through his word that he, it could be said he has broken through man's limitations in those areas. That's another just base reality you have to accept, right? Why do Christians all agree on uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, it's because God has chosen to break through our limitations and making that doctrine, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, making that doctrine transcendent, transcendently clear through his word to his church. Amen. I don't have anything to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) And a third thing, this is the other side of the coin. Correspondingly, God has chosen not to break through man's limitations with other doctrines. (laughs) Now, this is where it gets tricky. So on the one hand, we're recognizing God has broken through man's limitations in some areas. You just take the gospel message, for example. Why do all Christians believe the same gospel message? Well, God has chosen to break through our finite and fallen limitations. Why do Christians disagree on other things? 
Well, he's chosen not to break through our limitations on those doctrines, those teachings. And that's the tension that yeah. we live in. That, 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 that's what forms the tension here. Right. There's this, uh, we have the doctrines of the perpiscuity of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, and yet, even with that doctrine, even with that understanding that Scripture is clear, that God's communication is clear, we still have these areas where, like, how can we hold both these things in place where we say, yes, mm-hmm. God's Word is sufficiently clear, and also, uh, we're, we're not all coming to the same conclusion on all these different issues. In a lot of ways, I think this is similar to other problems, other difficulties that we wrestle with as we're trying to understand God and His Word and, and just the nature of the world around us. Uh, we think of the problem of evil. Uh, if God doesn't desire evil, God is a holy God, God is a righteous God, God is not the author of evil, He doesn't create evil. If, if all that is true, well, how can it be that evil exists? How could there have been evil or pride or sin found in Satan, as Ezekiel 28 yeah. says. Where did that come from? Yeah. Why didn't God prevent it? Or, or why didn't God make things differently than they were? Those kinds of questions. Similar also, I would say, even to the problem of election. We see in Scripture that God has elected some to be saved. There's other texts of Scripture, though, that say that God desires all people to be saved. Well, how do we have both of these things as they are revealed in God's Word? How do we hold those things in tension? God, If God desires all to be saved, and yet only saves some, why are some not saved? How does that actually mm-hmm. work? What's How do we hold these things in tension with each other? I think this is connected, it's maybe not connected directly to these issues, but the problem is a similar kind of problem. Yes. And so with that, the way, how you feel about those two issues, Ken just brought up the problem of evil and the uh, issue of, you know, why aren't all saved? You know, we have answers to those questions, but at the same time, we don't have the type of settledness in our spirits about them as we do with other things. So as we approach to answer, approach an answer to this question, why do Christians disagree given these realities? Uh, we're never really going to arrive somewhere where we feel like, oh, we got this totally settled. Mm. So it, it, it's an issue that falls into that same kind of category as the problem of evil, where it's like, well, we can we can say these things, but then we have to just stop short of perhaps a full answer that we desire because we're limited by what we know. And, and what we know is what God wants us to know, and that's where it ends. If you feel like you should be able to exhaust every issue and give an exhaustive answer to every problem, you're going to end up in some weird places. You just kind of have to live with the tension that God gives you. And we we want to have the freedom to go as far as Scripture goes, right? We don't want to make the mistake of saying, well, since we can't figure out everything, well, we don't want to know anything. <laughs> it's like, no, we actually have a responsibility to try to wrestle with some things and try to see what has yes. God revealed. And this is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things he has revealed, they do belong to us and to our mm-hmm. children forever. So these are the things that we want to pursue. We want to know what has God said and embrace those, mm. even if it doesn't take us quite as far as we would prefer to go in our knowledge. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search them out. So it's a kingly exercise we're doing, but when we reach the end, kind of like... Uh, you know, on the Truman Show, when, when uh, Jim Carrey touches the edge of the dome, you, you've reached the end. Uh, you've reached the end of God's revelation to you, and you just got to let it be. So that's, we're going to attempt to touch the edge of the dome today, so to speak. <laughs> and let's set forth a paradigm for this. How can we think through this issue, why so many Christians disagree with some sort of a paradigm that, that helps us grasp the issue. I think one of the big problems with this topic when people try to answer it is that the answer is so like elusive, slippery, loose, uh, amorphous. Let's try to put some form to it, something that we Christians can grab onto and say, okay, here are the things that we know, and let's put those things in their place and just kind of leave it there. Starting with, there is a difference between scripture and doctrine. There's, there's a relationship between the two, mm-hmm. and in many ways you can't have one without the other. But there is a difference between Scripture and doctrine. Let's consider that basic reality. You want to walk through that, Ken? 
Yeah, so what is the nature of Scripture? What is it? It's God's revelation to mankind, right? This is what God has revealed to us. He has communicated these things to us. And as we read God's Word, we seek to, uh, oftentimes, this is just I think this is a, a right response for us as we're reading God's Word. We're trying to understand it and trying to put the different pieces together. A lot of times we end up systematizing different things. We see, okay, as we read through Scripture, we see things that God has revealed about himself or about mankind or about salvation or the world around us. And we, we pick those things out and we, we pull those pieces down and we try to see how they work together and we end up with a doctrine of God or a doctrine of man or doctrine of salvation where we've seen, okay, we've, we've identified everywhere where God has revealed something about himself and we've brought that all together and we have the doctrine of God. Mm-hmm. Now, our articulation of that doctrine is not scripture. Mm-hmm. It's not inspired. It is not revelation itself. Now, if we have done our job well, it will accurately reflect what God has said but it is not exactly what God has said. Mm-hmm. So we make a distinction there. Yes. And when we consider the doctrine of perspicuity or the clarity of Scripture, we recognize that perspicuity or clarity applies to Scripture, but not to all doctrines. Therefore, doctrines, when you get into the secondary realm and beyond— they are subject to our interpretive methods. Secondary doctrines do not transcend our interpretive methods, and therefore they are not—we can't say that they're clear, because that's why they're secondary. They're not as clear as that which is primary. We seek to steward the Word of God well as students of God's Word, and we form our doctrines based on the Word of God. But again, like Ken just said, our articulation of doctrine, whether it's primary, secondary, or or tertiary— our articulation is never God-breathed. Only Scripture is God-breathed. However, we recognize that there are doctrines that God has given to His church that are clear in Scripture, but it's not all doctrines. It's only some. <laughs> and, and that's, again, where you know the tension kind of comes up. And if you are familiar with our chart, dotheology.com slash chart, you'll see what how we've organized this in the primary column and the secondary column in particular. Those primary doctrines... Those are the doctrines God has given to his church as definitional to Christianity. They are the doctrines that we are saying transcend hermeneutics. They transcend our interpretive methods in such a way that they are clear from Scripture. There's perspicuity to those doctrines because God has made them so clear in his clear word. Yet there are other doctrines that are subject to our stewardship that aren't as clear as the primary doctrines. And so that's why they're secondary. Yeah. So like, uh, there's, you know, um, I was just looking behind me cause I was looking to see if I had a book handy that had a real nice quote that I was reading earlier about this exact issue about how the perspicuity of scripture, the clarity of scripture, how it applies to the things pertaining to salvation. I think John frame was referencing the Westminster confession of faith as he was talking about this mm. issue about how everything that we need for salvation is undeniably clear. It's it, it, you, we can't mess these things up unless we're approaching Scripture with a with a hermeneutic that just completely ignores the authority of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we get beyond the things that we need for salvation, as we get beyond gospel doctrines, that's where some of that clarity is just not quite as clear as we wish it would be in a lot of ways. Now, there's some things that we think are clear because Mm -hmm. of our approach to Scripture, uh, but we still look around us at some of our brothers, and we see that, well, they have a different understanding of that issue. Well, how does that come to be? And it's an issue of how far this clarity goes, and that's, that's what we're trying to wrestle with today as we try to pull these pieces together. Yeah. Yeah. What sets primary doctrine apart from other doctrines? is that those doctrines transcend our interpretive frameworks so that there is agreement on such doctrines among those who have been regenerated and given the Spirit of God. And so let's unpack that just a little more, and we can use that uh, Mike Winger example, too, here in a moment. I think it would be a good time to to share that, what you were saying you heard from him the other day. But sure. um, I, I'm getting ready to preach a, a sermon series on canon here in a little bit, 
And so my mind has been in this amazing reality of we have a canon of Scripture that God has revealed to us, and by His sovereign power, and we could say mysterious power, because it is a mystery in a lot of ways, God's church has come to an agreement that these, as we've divided them up, 66 books of the Bible are the books of the Bible. You can't take away, you can't add to, there they are. How did that happen? <laughs> that's that's going to be one of the sermons I'm going to preach is, how did that happen? And Michael Kruger's got a lot of great stuff on that, and James White and F.F. Bruce and some other guys. But it's like, how did, how did that take place? Well, really what, what you have to fall back on is the Spirit of God who caused people to be born again worked in them in such a way that he led them to the word he inspired where they're able to recognize, and, and there are a lot more details he could put to this, but they're able just to recognize with a sufficient knowledge that this is the word of God. God's sheep hear his voice, right? As Jesus taught, they, they know him. So in a similar way, just like the phenomenon of recognizing the word of God itself, all those whom God has regenerated will recognize Gospel doctrines, for instance. If God has regenerated them, they will confess the biblical gospel. They will all recognize that. There won't be a dispute among regenerated persons about what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. That's very important that you hang on to that reality, because here's the, here's the thing. This is where the application. When there's a dispute about is this gospel or not, one of those people isn't regenerated. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, or both are not regenerated, depending if it's a Mormon and Jehovah's Witness, right? <laughs> but true. Um, so, you, I mean, you might be talking to a liberal Christian, for instance, who says, well, I mean, physical resurrection or spiritual resurrection doesn't really matter. That's not how Paul approached it in 1 Corinthians 15. That's not how you should approach it as a Christian. So you say, okay, well, physical resurrection is essential to the gospel. And you know what? All other truly regenerated people are going to agree with you because that's what God is doing and building that unity in his church. It starts with the gospel. Do you have anything to add to that? I've just ranted for a long time. Sorry. No, that's okay. No, I don't, I don't think so. I'm just going to, as we take the next step from that, you know, as we have broken down our chart, we have more than just gospel issues in that primary column. Because we're recognizing that there are some things that are still definitional to Christianity that to step outside of that you are leaving historic Orthodox Christianity. But while we also recognize that that doesn't necessarily mean if, as long, if they're embracing the gospel, that doesn't necessarily mean someone is unregenerate. And that's a difficult tension, I think, for people to deal with as well, that you can disagree on something that's primary and perhaps still be a genuine mm -hmm. believer. Well, how do we think about that? So how do we think about the fact that there's degrees of variance that God allows even within the primary doctrine column among the regenerates? Well, the answer is when people begin to have that variance, the Word of God is never the foundation for that yeah. variance. There's always either some, yeah. some external thing that's coming in and causing us to think different things. It's not founded upon the Word of God. Going back to the person who says, I don't know, physical resurrection, I don't think that's gospel. Well, if you show that person from the Word of God, say, 1 Corinthians 15, you know, okay, this is what the Word of God says. And if that person says, ah, oh, you're right, okay, I, I was wrong, then, okay, that person maybe was off for a time on that issue, but it's evidence of the Spirit's work within that person if that person says, I'm going to conform myself to the Word of God, as opposed to projecting my own desire onto the Word of God. So I maybe I spoke a little too harshly there before, but... It, I had in mind someone saying, no, physical resurrection, spiritual resurrection doesn't matter. If that person's going to hold the line on that, even when you show them from the word of God, then that person does not know God. That person has not been born again. Mm -hmm. Now, again, like you were just saying, where it gets a little tricky then is you expand out from the gospel. Yeah. And you start talking about an issue like gender roles, which we recently did an episode on, and we say this is a primary issue. Scripture is clear on the distinguished roles of men and women that God has created with a specific purpose. You have other people who are seemingly born again. We would affirm them as brothers and sisters in the Lord who disagree with us on that. And that's where Mike Winger went with uh, his first episode in his study on that. 
Yeah, so I don't know how much of it has been released at the time of when our episode releases, but Mike Winger, if you're familiar with him, the Bible Thinker on YouTube, uh, really great material over there, by the way. We, we really appreciate him, and um, yeah, he, great brother. Uh, but he's talking, he's doing a series on women in ministry, and in his introductory video, he talked about how he sees the issue of women in ministry as a secondary issue. Now, he defines primary and secondarily differently than we do, uh, but he views it as secondary, and yet he also says that despite his desire to be egalitarian himself, as he's studying the scripture, he cannot go there because the word of God does not go there. And his argument in this, I think he said it's going to be like a seven-part series, his argument is that anyone who is coming to an egalitarian position, they are coming to that conclusion based on something else other than the Word of God. Hmm. And he's, I think he's 100% spot on with that. When we begin to consider, okay, what, what takes someone into an egalitarian direction? Well, it's not the Word of God. They have to uh, take some outside information and try to force that back onto the Scripture that they're seeking to reinterpret and doing a, a pretty poor job at, at really manipulating mm-hmm. the text to read how they would want it to read. But it's not based on the Word of God. It's based off of their experience. It's based off of what they think about, oh, this must mean that I'm lesser of a human if, if, if my role is different than the man's role, etc. It's not based on what the Word of God actually says. Yeah. And it's a, such a scary place for someone to be, holding to a doctrine when the Word of God is not your foundation. Yeah. And, and that's why we feel comfortable calling it a primary doctrine is because the Word of God is absolutely clear. I mean, that's a doctrine that we say transcends our interpretive methods. You have to bring in an outside source, outside reasoning, from outside the Word of God, to say, okay, this uh, there is no distinction in gender roles in the church and in the home. You it, To actually reverse what God's Word has said. Uh that's a real scary place to be. Can you legitimately be born again and hold to that view? We're saying, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, it, it creates, it could, it creates uh, consistency issues is what we, uh, is, is the main totally. issue. Yeah. Yes. So now we contrast yeah, so- that idea now with, as we shift over into that secondary column, if you're ready to go here, maybe you have something else to say on what we we're just talking about. No, yeah, go but, ahead, and then I'll I'll sum up the thought okay. after you say it. So as as we come back over into and shift over to the secondary column, where we see that there's different people that take different positions on things, but they all do so seeking to ground their reasoning and ground their their uh, their their doctrine in the Word of God itself. So you, you take baptism for example. We are baptistic. We believe that. We should baptize believers. There's others who believe that we ought to be baptizing babies. Both of us come to that conclusion based on what we believe the Word of God itself to be teaching, and we can both pull up proof texts, and we can reason through things. It's based off of the Word of God in that sense. It's biblical in the sense that it's based on the Word of God. Now, they're not both correct. There you go, right. So there is room for... for things there, but there is a there is a sense in which both of them are based upon the Word of God, even if yeah. the Pado-Baptists are wrong. <laughs> even though the Pado-Baptists are wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the primary doctrine, the Word of God, is the foundation for each of those doctrines in a way that transcends any of our stewardship in interpreting. Secondary doctrines are totally the result of our stewardship in interpreting. Uh, you take something. That's, that's language I've not heard you use before. Explain, expand upon that a little bit. Which language? What language? Stewardship language? Yeah. Transcends our stewardship. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, shouldn't I, should, I guess I shouldn't have said transcends our stewardship. It is... <clears throat> um, when it comes to our where we land on secondary doctrines... It is the result of the way we steward the Word of God in interpreting it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to primary doctrine, of course, you still need to read it and, and study it and, and develop doctrine. But there is a transcending aspect where all born-again people, take the gospel, all born-again people are going to land in the same place. 
And then you start branching out from the gospel and those other doctrines that are foundational, Trinity, uh, the uh, role of the Word of God, morality, gender roles. <laughs> You'll start to see some variance and disagreement. I mean, the Trinity right now, we're seeing some pretty hot disagreements mm, mm. <laughs> among conservative evangelicals. Um, they both can't be right. And so w- what you have, though, is a, a transcending of our interpretive methods um, to give us a foundational doctrine. And when someone brings in a totally different idea, they're not coming from the Word of God with that idea. Now, when I talk about the Trinity debates that are taking place right now, that's getting into really some of the, dare I say, minutia of the doctrine. <laughs> is someone going to come up behind me and assassinate me? Pretty much. For saying uh, minutia, because, boy, there's some people who are really fired up about these these issues that we won't be able to, I don't think, totally figure out. Um, but I, I, now I feel like I'm just rambling. So to, to sum up, here's a, here's a big overview idea. When, when God saves people, when he regenerates people, he gives them a recognition of his word and an attitude toward his word that's submissive, uh, that wants to hear. He gives them ears to hear, mm. <laughs> and they, they listen to God, and they seek to understand uh, what his word says out of, a, out of a position of his word is inspired and authoritative. Now, there are going to be different expressions of how people interpret Scripture within that attitude or within that God-given disposition. Yet, all of those interpretive methods are going to lead to these clear primary doctrines. Now, they will have disagreements on things that are secondary, on on issues, on doctrines that are secondary in nature, and we know that they're secondary because they're contrasted with the agreement (laughs) that we all have on what is primary. These doctrines like, uh, you know, who who God is, the Trinity, um, what Jesus did to save man, these issues that are just so clear in Scripture, we will have unity on across different interpretive methods. It's a, in many ways, a mysterious thing. It's a work of God, but this is what God is up to in His church. Yeah. So as we think about that... Um, you want to use this uh, the, the that puzzle illustration that you like? Yeah. Now, th- there's certainly going to be holes that could be poked in this, and so I'm just going to throw these out there as ways to think about primary and secondary doctrine. Primary doctrines are like simple standard puzzles. Think of uh, you know something that is a dozen pieces that you put together um, that's just pretty simple and easy to do. A a child could do it where you're systematizing clear passages of scripture, these puzzle pieces resulting in a clear whole doctrine. It's like a single key opening a single door. It, it, that says how it works. It functions simply that way. Or you think of those photo mosaic style pictures where they make one big picture out of a bunch of little individual pictures where you back up and you can clearly see what the big picture is. That's what primary doctrines are like. In contrast to that, secondary doctrines are like puzzles that have multiple solutions, and there are different uh, programs out there that are puzzles that give you multiple ways to, <laughs> to solve them. Uh, Space Kim is one of them. Scribble Knots is another one. I've never played these. I just kind of searched for that and found these uh, different names. Where you're systematizing clear passages of Scripture, because Scripture is always clear, and it's resulting in one of multiple possible solutions, one of multiple possible doctrines. You think of limited atonement, for example. One Christian systematizes Scripture, believes limited atonement is absolutely true. Another person does it and say, no, not true. Well, there are two different ways uh, that these people are coming to these conclusions, but they're both using the Word of God as their foundation. It's like multiple keys being used to open a door, a single door, or one of those photo mosaic style portraits where you back up and the bigger picture isn't as clear. Even though all the little ones that make it up are clear individually, the big picture isn't as clear. And so we have disagreements on what that big picture is. So those are just some word pictures to throw out there. uh, And yeah, well, and the the reality is there's still only one right way to put the puzzle together. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but mm-hmm. because of the shape of the pieces, we struggle with that. I, I, we, we sometimes we get these cheap. You, know, you get these cheap dollar store puzzles or something where they've got a picture and they've used the same stamp to just cr- crush all you know the cuts yes. and everything, and all the puzzle pieces are shaped the exact same way. You can fit them in multiple places, mm-hmm. but there's still only one correct solution. But we sometimes struggle with getting the right pieces together. So. Or to to use that photo mosaic big picture analogy, all the individual pictures are still clear that mm-hmm. make up the big photo mosaic. And as we back up. If we can't see the big picture, that's not a problem with the one who arranged it all. It's, yeah. it's still, it's clear to, in God's mind, scripture is still, or uh, the doctrine is still clear in God's mind. He knows exactly what's true and right. But for us, it's an issue with our finite and fallen eyesight that we can't grasp the big picture the same way God can. And the amazing thing is he breaks through those limitations with the primary doctrines and doesn't do it with these secondary doctrines. Maybe it's like a mosaic within a mosaic where we can only back up so far and our back is up against the wall, <laughs> but you remove the wall and God is standing outside of ah, that and he sees it all. Very good. Like yeah. inception. I, yeah. Should I spin a top? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we've said all of that, hopefully to help establish some sort of a paradigm. It's a very complicated issue, but hopefully to establish some sort of a paradigm, let's talk through some ramifications as we close this out. First, we can say that we exist in Christianity, this God's religion, as he's given it to us through his word, through his revelation. We exist in a Christianity made up of very different denominational expressions. Although our primary doctrine is shared on the basis of the word of God, our secondary doctrine is diverse because God has not made those doctrines as clear. His word is always clear. Mm-hmm. But some doctrines he has made clearer than others. And that's why we have unity and diversity. And it's this tension. And, and that's, you know, if we look up in different systematic theologies, as I was doing earlier and reading about the clarity of Scripture and how, you know, uh, John Frame and Wayne Grudem, both these guys were talking about how when, there's, when there is this limitation, when, we, when uh, we have disagreements, the problem is not with the Word of God. That's right. Right. The problem is with us. We, that's why we opened this episode with that statement about how we are finite and fallen. The problem is with us. Mm-hmm. But it still asks, makes us ask the question, well, it wasn't like our fallenness took God by surprise. He knew we were fallen, and yet there are some things that are still more clear than other things and some things that are just still a little bit enigmatic and, for us. And that's because of God's work. Not our work. It's not that we all just somehow are all on the same page and are better at interpreting some passages that lead to some doctrines better than others. This is just God's work. This is the way God has designed it. That's the only way we can explain our unity around the definitional doctrines of Christianity, starting with the gospel. How do you, how do you explain we all have unity on gospel doctrines? It's because God is the one yeah. who broke through. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And yes. how do you explain our differences on eschatology? It's because he hasn't broken through on those issues. That's, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You, you mentioned Grudem. I do want to read this. This is a good note that he has in his systematic theology. He says, um, answering the question, why do Christians disagree? On the one hand, it may be that we are seeking to make affirmations where Scripture itself is silent— On the other hand, it is possible that we have made mistakes in our interpretation of Scripture. And those are two easy ways to to sum that up, or simple ways, not easy, but simple to understand. And he goes on to say, In no case are we free to say that the teaching of the Bible on any subject is confusing or incapable of being understood correctly. In no case should we think that persistent disagreements on some subject through the history of the Church mean that we will be unable to come to a correct conclusion on that subject ourselves. Rather, if a genuine concern about some such subject arises in our lives, we should sincerely ask God's help, then go to Scripture, scripture, searching it with all our ability, believing that God will enable us to understand rightly. You mean I can't be a pan-millennialist? <laughs> yeah, a pot-millennialist. No, that's bad. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Pans, pots. <laughs> oh, brother. 
Yeah, so a lot of this comes back to, you know, as, as we're trying to, to wrestle with this, there's the doctrine of illumination is kind of all a part of this, that the Holy Spirit illumines our eyes to help us understand God's Word. And we ask the question, okay, well, if, if God's, if the Holy Spirit is is in this, and so if we, we got an email about this, uh, about this question regarding head coverings. We did a couple episodes on head oh, coverings a while yeah. back, and a person wrote in asking the question, you know, if I've, if I've got the Holy Spirit— and he has illumined my heart and my mind, and I'm not convicted on this issue, well, then how is it that this can be expected for me to follow when I, I don't hmm. see it that way and I don't think that way? And we can apply that same question to a whole variety of things. If we all have the Holy Spirit, well, how in the world is it that we've come to such radically different conclusions? The same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit, that's right. <laughs> yeah. With the same ministry of illumination, with the same Word of God. Yeah. Well, um, in MacArthur and Mayhew's systematic theology, biblical doctrine, uh, MacArthur seeks to define illumination, or Mayhew. It doesn't say who wrote this section. <laughs> and he gives a few things that he lists out, a few concepts that he says that illumination is not. And his second point is that illumination does not guarantee that every Christian will agree doctrinally because the human element can cause false doctrine. And that's a, another simple summary thought on this. He put as a reference Galatians 2, where Peter acted the hypocrite whenever Paul would come around. He would, he would be with the Gentiles uh, and you know be all cool with them. And then the Pharisees would show up and he would say, um, yeah, those Gentiles are bad. Let me you know be with you Judaizers and pretend like we don't eat pork whenever you're not around. And Paul says, I showed up and I opposed Peter to his face. Why did Peter have false doctrine in that moment, even though he was illumined by the Holy Spirit? Well, the human element was allowed by God to rebel against God's word, even in a regenerated person. And so you do have that going on, even on some pretty big doctrines, which really makes us uncomfortable, but God allows it. Yeah, and and so you mentioned that uh, example from Scripture. There's a couple other places where we see this happening Maybe not on doctrinal issues, but on some practical issues. Uh, the that Peter example was kind of a practical issue, although we would argue that flows out of correct doctrine. Yeah, right. Um, Paul and Barnabas. Yep. Trying to understand, okay, is is John Mark actually qualified to go on this this uh, missionary trip with us? Uh, there's another falling out there. So really, it's possible that some of these differences has have existed ever since. The fall, well, I mean, we can go all the way back to the fall, really, but yeah. they've they've persisted even through Christ's ministry after his ascension when they got the apostles that are on earth speaking authoritatively for God. Scripture is being written in the moment, yep. and there's still differences. Yeah, I, as God has been building his church, God the Son, it's very possible from the very start when he was building there have been some disagreements, uh, and we, like you said, we see that in the book of Acts itself. You see the letters that Paul wrote to the pastors, Titus and Timothy. He tells both of them, refuse controversies, <laughs> which means there were controversies in the church. Now, uh, the scope of those controversies, we can you know try to figure out what that included, but I would imagine there were definitely some controversies that sneaked up into the secondary type issue issues and even into some of the primary. And with those issues, they were called to take the Word of God, study it out, and correct from the Word of God, teach from the Word of God. So, uh, boy, it's Mormons like to talk, like in the first century, there was a pristine church with everybody in perfect harmony on every single issue, and we have scriptural evidence that that just isn't the case because the human element has always been involved. Mm-hmm. Which is still makes us ask the question that, that we kind of have started out with, is this what God wants hmm. for the church? Is this what God desires for the church? How do we think about that? That's, that's really the tough thing when we come down to it. Is, this, is God okay with there being different denominations? Well, we can answer that in a couple different ways. The first way, of course, is he's allowed it. Yeah. So the the fact that he has allowed it in like we just mentioned pretty much from the beginning that means that in some sense it is an aspect of his will. Uh Paul and Barnabas splitting up very early on in in missionary work in the Christian life, 
He allowed that, and he preserved the story of it in his word for us to read and learn from. That means, in a very real sense, it is a part of his will, a part of his plan. Right, and this is where we—it's—this is a a topic that is really too big for us to get too deep Mm -hmm. in the weeds on at this moment, as we're already— Pretty far deep into this episode, but the the concept of the two wills of God, and it's what the names of those two wills are, have been called different things over the years, uh, his decreative will versus his will of desire, you know, different things, uh, different labels for that. But there's some things that God's Word, it says that he desires A, and yet B happens. Well, B wasn't outside of God's permissive will, but it was outside of his revealed will of what he says ought to happen. And so we mm-hmm. the, the tension between those two things, again, we're not going to resolve or get to the bottom of that in this episode. Maybe we can talk about that another time. But I think that's kind of where we, we wrestle with these things. You know, Jesus prayed that his disciples would have unity in Acts, or not Acts, uh, John 17. Yes. And yet... And he, notice yeah, he, he, he said unity and not uniformity. True. Because yes. unity is not uniformity. Uh, as God builds his church, we don't all get the same gifts, one body, many members. Uh, he He never promised us that we would all think the exact same way about every issue. Yes. Sorry, I jumped in the middle of what no, you're saying. No, that's okay. Cause that's, that's, that's part of, you know, as we try to think about what does being unified mean and what does unity look like. And you know, we could also see that, okay, that was Jesus's prayer for his church. That's what he desires. And yet... There are factions, and there has been division, and there has been all these different denominations that are broken off from each other over one thing or another. Yep. So those things are governed by the will of God, even if that's not what God has revealed that he wants for his church. And we do see some very clear ways that God has used our differences for good. Uh, You, in our show notes here, you've listed off a few reasons. You want to walk through those? Yeah, I was just thinking about some of the things that, how, why is this diversity actually good? How has God used this? Number one, I think it drives us to a greater study of God's Word. Totally does. If I'm coming along and I think, okay, believer's baptism, and I've got my Presbyterian brother who comes along and says, hey, are you baptizing those babies? (laughs) "Uh, What are you talking about, bro? You know, well, in the Word of God, this, 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 and now I've got to study it out and I've got to seek it out myself. I've got to, I've... You know, there's a Latin phrase, ad fontes, to the sources. I've got to go yes. back to the text. Isaiah 8.20, to the testimony, to the law. What does the Word of God say? Mm-hmm. It drives us to a greater dependence, a greater study, a greater appreciation for what God has given to us just so that we can develop our firm convictions and conclusions as a result of having been challenged and have to defend what I believe Scripture says. Iron can't sharpen iron if there is no disagreement or confrontation, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, the reason why we have iron sharpening iron is because there is some sort of confrontation happening, and God even allows that to happen in the realm of doctrine, and it is good for us. We do, we we have to defend <laughs> what we believe from the Word of God, and it's a very good practice. Even though it's uncomfortable a lot mm-hmm. of times, it's good for us. Yes. Second thing is that it teaches us some of the beauty, I think, that we have in unity in the midst of diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a an incredible God who is triune in nature, right? One God, and yet there are three persons. Well, how does that work? How does there unity and diversity? We don't fully know, but there's beauty in it. There's majesty in it. There's glory in it. And now within God's church, I'm not saying that we are necessarily like the Trinity exactly in this yeah. way. I'm not trying to draw too close of a parallel, but there is beauty in diversity when, when brothers and sisters can get along and can love one another and, and serve one another, despite there being some differences. I think that's a beautiful thing, and yes. it shows the beauty of the gospel. It shows the beauty of what God is doing amongst his people. Yes. We like to think sometimes that God only uses people exactly like us. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh, we're just, so we're so prideful. Just crack open a church history book. Yeah, right. Crack open Fox's mm-hmm. Book of Martyrs. Mm-hmm. You know, re, just just start reading some of those resources that have been preserved. Or, or tell you what, st- go listen to some of the Revive Thoughts episodes. There you from, go. From, brothers from, over at Revive Thoughts. Yeah, Revive do those those guys. Some of the some of the stuff that the sermons that they've resurrected and some of the church history connected with that. These are people from very different church traditions, and yet. God has used them powerfully. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Beauty in diversity. Yes. 
last thing that that I came up with, and there's probably more things that oh totally that are, yeah, that, but this is the uh, last thing for us today. I think it shows us the greatness and the glory of God and His mercy to save unto Himself people who are just plain wrong. Hmm. You know, like those Presbyterians not, I mentioned earlier. Yeah, not us. <laughs> not us. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> How amazing that God would save and use and work through people who have wrong views of certain doctrine. That that tells us so much about the nature of God and character mm-hmm. of God that he would do such a thing, um, that he would do an, an amazing work through people who maybe in the secondary column of doctrine are off on half the things. And that could be me and you. I mean, it, it, yeah. we have a, we have a conviction now. Don't, don't hear me wrong. We've studied the, a lot of issues and we have firm conviction but we recognize we could still be wrong about those mm-hmm. in the secondary realm. And the fact that we could very well be wrong on many of the things we believe in that, that area, and he's still using us for his glory, what a patient and gracious and merciful God we serve. Amen. Praise him. It's incredible. Well, um, again, you know, we told you we weren't going to give you a really firm landing spot today on this. Like, oh, here you, here you go. Here's your answer to anybody who ever asks you why Christians disagree. But hopefully we gave you some things to think about. We can definitely be sharpened in this area ourselves. There's so many ramifications to everything we're talking about. But hopefully this can get us all started down the road of understanding what God is up to in the world and in his church. And if you have feedback on any of these things, we'd love to hear from you. Show at dotheology.com is our email address. You can find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, at dotheology. Just search dotheology. You will find us. So we would love to hear from you. So go ahead and reach out to us through any of those means. And until, and until yes. next time. Do... <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Did it backwards. Yeah. I don't I'm not a fan. No. Theology. We stumbled at the finish line here. <laughs> we did. Should we re-record we, any of that ending? I think we stumbled before the finish line. No, this shows our relatability that we're failures just like everybody else, <laughs> as if they didn't already know. True. Okay. Good stuff.